Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So good. Um, so we, we started speaking last week a little bit about living a big life. And I want to continue in that vein today by sharing a message with you entitled, Why Are You Afraid? Why Are You Afraid? This is legit. This is something that we all face. This is something that we all go through. Uh, We face fear. We face risk. We face challenges. Sometimes they are of our own making. Other times it's just life. Other times it's just what we go through. And if you have a heart to live a big life, and to do great things, and to walk in the call of God for your life, one of the things that you're going to have to grapple with is fear. One of the things that you're going to have to settle in your own heart is how you're going to deal with fear, that emotion as it arises in your life. And so I want to talk about that a little bit uh, this morning as we seek to live these lives that, that make an impact, lives of, of purpose. We understand, and we covered this last week, that the only way to do that is by living a life of faith. Your life will always be limited by you unless you're living from the platform of something or rather someone bigger than yourself. Only when we come together and we trust in a miraculous God will we be able to live lives that are bigger than average, normal, everyday lives. And those are the kinds of lives that we want to lead. This is the kind of church we want to be. Sometimes people challenge us on this. We've had it many times because people have different perspectives on church. And they say, well, why don't you just stay a small church? Why don't you just have a few people come together and, you know, it's just community and we just, you know, little group, us four and no more, as Pastor Mark Hodgetts would always say. The reason is because we believe God has called us to live big lives. We want to see him do miraculous things. And we're asking God to use us. We're asking God that he would use this church, this community. This is not the only church. It's not even the best church. We're just a church. We're just part of the story. But this is our church. And this is where God has called us to be. And so we get to make a difference here. And we're asking that God would do that in us and through us. But the problem with that is, for a church and for us as individuals, is that it means taking risk. How many of you are comfortable with risk? One or two people that we'll pray for, right? One or two people that have been walking with the Lord so long that they just step out there without fear. Risk is, depending on the size of the risk, can always be uncomfortable, no matter how long you've been doing it for. But faith is risk, because the Bible describes faith as trusting in what you cannot see, believing in what is unseen. That is the issue with faith. In in other words, trusting in an invisible God. If Jesus just showed up physically here today and he said, hey, I'm here, guys, trust me, believe in me, I'm good, I'm, I'm, you know, you you can bank on what I've got for you, we would go, okay, that's perfect. We've seen Jesus in the flesh, we're good now, let's go out and do whatever he's called us to do. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because if you could see him, you wouldn't need faith. And without faith, grace couldn't be at work. 
And so that's why God doesn't just show up and show himself because it depends on faith. He wants us to live by faith. And so this is the barrier that many of us run into. As we long, as we pursue to live a big life, we run into the barrier of fear. Even last week when we read about Jonathan and his armor bearer going over, they had to cross a rocky crag to go and take on the Philistine army. And that barrier represents fear. And Jonathan in a moment decided to trust God and said, let's see, maybe the Lord will work on our behalf. That is the divide. That is the watershed, the split between those that live big lives and the many who don't. What do you do when you hit the barrier of fear? What do you do? What is your response? What do you trust in? The barrier is overcome by few. But those that do find the ability to act in spite of fear, according to what is unseen, to move in faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 to 3 shows us this foundation of faith. And it tells us now faith is the assurance of things that are hopeful, the conviction of things that are not seen, evidence of things that you cannot see. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, everything you see today, this world around you, all of it came out of what is unseen, what is invisible, simply by the word of God. And so if God could create what is seen out of that which was once invisible, what else can he bring about into the seen realm? What is invisible right now? You're saying, I don't have provision in my life. It's unseen. I look at my bank account. It's unseen. But God can speak a word. He can bring provision where there is none. I can't see my healing. I can't see my health. God can bring that health. I can't see my marriage working out. I can't see my relationships mended. God can bring it about. Can you see what is unseen? That's faith. This passage of Scripture goes on to say that by faith, Noah built the ark. Noah had never seen rain. The Bible tells us it had never rained on the earth in those days. There was a mist that came up that watered the earth. So he builds an ark. That's faith. It was unseen. Abraham was told to leave his homeland, everything he was comfortable with, to go and possess a promised land that he had never seen. Sarah conceived, even though she was barren, even though she was beyond childbearing years, she saw the child that God would give her. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, defying the most powerful leader, the most powerful ruler in the world at that time in Pharaoh. Listen to what it says about what caused Moses, what inspired Moses to walk out with those Israelites. Hebrews eleven twenty seven says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid. Can we just repeat that for one second? Everybody say, not being. Let's try that again. One, two, three. Not being afraid. Not being afraid of the anger of the king. Why? Why are you not afraid, Moses? For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured 
even though there was a Pharaoh sending armies out against him, Moses did not turn around. He did not give up. He kept moving forward in faith. Why? Because he saw a greater king than Pharaoh. He could see, he could perceive by faith that God was on his side. And when God is for us, who can be against us? He endured because he saw the invisible God. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, Rahab was saved. Verse 32 goes on and says, What more shall I say? For time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, of the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty at war in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Do those sound like small lives? Does that sound like a bunch of people who said, you know what, let's just be a small community? No, this is what a life of faith looks like. It looks like taking massive steps towards what God has for us. People of faith live big lives. So why are you afraid? And let me start by saying that for any of you that have heard me preach for any number of weeks, you'll know that I despise Christian cliches. I despise sometimes, sometimes I feel like half my mission on earth is to reverse the dumb things that Christians say sometimes. Have you ever heard a pastor say, fear is an acronym of false evidence appearing real? Anybody heard that before? Fear is just, it's not real, it's just false evidence. And I always like to be a realist about these kinds of things, because if this morning, even though we're in South Africa, maybe you know, something could have escaped from the zoo. If this morning a bear ran in here, right? And stood up on its hind legs, right now, came middle of the crowd, stood up on its hind legs, growled at us, and then started systematically mauling our church members one by one. <laughs> Would it do you any good for me to stand up here as a pastor and say, you know what, guys? False evidence appearing real. Fear isn't real. You're like, I'm afraid the bear is eating people. It's unhelpful to say that. I think we do a disservice to ourselves and to others when we become reality deniers as Christians. No, just ignore it. It will go away. That is the theology of most people, right? Just ignore it. It will go away. Is the bear going to go away as it starts mauling you? So it's a bad acronym to use because it's only ever sometimes real or true. You know, there are times that our minds run away with us and we do have fear. We do have emotions of fear, um, you know, that, where there is no evidence. That does sometimes happen, but it doesn't always happen. So the question, why are you afraid? I don't want you to dismiss your reality and go, no, there's no reason for me to be afraid. I was, I was wrong. I was wrong. Some of you are worried about your businesses right now. We've just been through an incredibly tough time economically with lockdown and all the rest. Some of you are worried about your, your income, your salary, whether or not you'll be able to provide for your family. That is not false evidence. There's a reality to that. Some of you are worried about your marriage. You're saying, I don't know if my marriage is beyond that point of no return. Am I going to be able to salvage this? Are we going to be able to move back to a place of health? That could be a very real situation, a very real circumstance. And we do not want to deny that reality. Some of you may be battling like we prayed for this morning with health issues. 
and there's an actual diagnosis and there's an actual issue and we don't want to say, no, no, it doesn't exist. I don't like that theology that says if, if you say it, oh, now you've given the devil the keys to your life and your health and your everything. I'm like, the keys of everything I have belongs to Jesus. Even if I speak imperfectly, which I try not to do, but even when I do in moments of weakness, I haven't given the victory to Satan. I don't need to deny my reality. I can say two things at once. I'm struggling or I'm sick or I'm, I'm battling and I trust in Jesus. I can say both those things and still have complete faith. In fact, it's probably a more authentic faith because you're, you're understanding why you need Jesus. You're understanding what the, the, the need for faith is in your life. So some of you are facing very real circumstances. And they cause you to feel afraid. I mentioned the bear. And we actually see in the scriptures that David faced this exact situation. You're like, that is so out there. Who would ever go through that? Well, David did. And I just want to read this to you in 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. It says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. He's now about to take on Goliath, and he says, Let no man, let no woman, let your heart not fail because of what you're facing. Do not let your heart fail because of the giant that stands in front of you. Your servant, David speaking about himself, will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine. You see, the, the circumstances are not in his favor. You are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, which is so David, right? I would be like collateral damage, tax man, right? Have the lamb, that's fine. David's like, no, I'm going after this, this bear. He says, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Go, fight, but know that God is with you. That's the key. That's the key to crossing the divide, to getting over the barrier, is knowing the source of our courage. It's the source of David's courage. He didn't deny the reality of the bear or the lion or Goliath, but he was aware of a greater reality, which was the presence of God. God is present with me. Go and the Lord be with you. That's how we face fear. That's how we overcome. That's how we endure, seeing him who is invisible. It's the only antidote to fear in this world. There's a lot to make us afraid, right? If you've been, in, if you've been an adult for like 10 minutes, you'll know. There's a lot in this world to make us afraid. It can be harsh. 
I remember when I bought my first house and it was a complex and I became a part of this community. And the next thing, nobody even said hello. Nobody was even nice. Nobody even welcomed me. I just got an invoice. It was like day two, please pay. And I replied because I was young. <laughs> and I said, oh, wow, okay, invoice. Um, you know, maybe you could just welcome me to the area first. Maybe we could just like, you know, we're so glad to be here. You know, I, that's what you expect the world to be. And it ends up the world is just, no, just pay. We don't care, just pay. That's what the world is like. It's cruel, it's hard, it's harsh. There's a lot to be afraid of. But we have a courage beyond that reality. Later on, David writes this in Psalm 27. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, the one who saves me, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an enemy, though an army encamp against me, my heart, my heart, my heart shall not fear, David says. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Why? Because God is my stronghold. Can you trust in him for your life this morning? This is the major key to living a big life. Learning to trust in God and act in faith during times of fear. What are you afraid of today? I want us to not just have this as a, as a hypothetical, but, but right now I want, I want you to just take a moment. Just ask yourself the question. What is it that I am afraid of? What is it that I'm fearful of today? What am I worried about? What did I carry in here? What are you afraid of today? Take a moment. What's haunting your thoughts when you lie down in bed at night? What's breaking down your self-confidence right now? What is making you shrink back and doubt God's presence? It's when we face these things, if we don't face them, that we never learn to trust in God's grace. His grace is greater. His grace is bigger. His grace is stronger. His presence is more than whatever you can face. Jesus says, be of good cheer. In this world, you will face many different things, many different challenges, many different trials. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. If we don't learn to trust in God and move beyond these things, then we are ultimately that fear will relegate us to living small lives. Why did you never just go out there and do it? I was afraid. I didn't know if I could risk. I didn't know if, if it would work out. I want us to turn to the book of Matthew. I want to end here, Matthew 14. If you have your Bibles, and by the way, I really encourage you to bring a Bible, buy a Bible, bring it right in it. I know that that's like throwing it back to like 1992 or whatever, but Bibles are so great just to physically have, to be able to hold, to be able to write in. And so bring a Bible so that you can open up, read, and make notes with us. But in Matthew 14, I just want to read, I want to end by reading two accounts today to see how we can have victory over fear. Crossing that divide into a big life. The first part, Matthew 14, 15, this first account of a miracle that Jesus did. It says, now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. P desolate places 
are often fearful places. When there's a lack of provision, when there's a lack of safety, when there's a lack of shelter, sometimes life can feel like that. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away into the villages and buy, to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. You see, Jesus is wanting to switch on the disciples' faith. Saying, I want you not, not just to just take the easy route. Okay, well, what are we going to do? Well, send them away. That's the most reasonable or rational answer. Send them away. Let them go get their own food. Jesus says, can you trust God for more? Can you believe in God for more? Can you take that next step? What is, the, what is where you are now? What does that next step look like? For whatever you were thinking about earlier, what is the next step of faith that you need to take? That God has already confirmed in your heart, you need to take it. What is that next step? Jesus is trying to get them there. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Like, we, we really don't have a lot. We've got thousands of people out here. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And so we can easily say 10, 15,000 people here fed by the small amount of food. The disciples were literally looking at what they had in their hands going, it's never going to be enough. We don't have enough bread. Do you know what the difference was in this situation? The bread of life was present. The miraculous working son of God was present. And when he is present, it doesn't matter what you have in your hand, how much or how little it is, he will work miraculously through that. If you've ever been in that space where you've wondered where your next meal would be coming from, or your next rental payment, or your next source of income, these people were in a desolate place. And this causes fear. But Jesus provides. I always read the story, and I always want to read the story from different perspectives as I read it. And one of the things that stands out to me that I think about being, maybe it's because I serve in church, maybe it's because I, I work for church, um, one of the things I always think about is, what was going through the minds of the disciples? Can we spare a thought for the disciples here at this point? Because they have been with Jesus as he has been praying all day for thousands upon thousands of people. Ministry like that is emotionally and physically draining. They've been with Jesus, they've prayed. And I, and I can kind of imagine the disciples, before they approach Jesus, getting together and saying, you know what, we are so hungry. We haven't eaten since this morning, and that wasn't even a lot. And we've been out on this hill ministering to people all day. We are so hungry. Somebody go speak to Jesus. And so like, no, Jesus is going to say we're selfish because now we're asking for food, but there's all these people. So they make it about the people, and they go say to Jesus, hey, the people are hungry, Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus is like, no, you feed them. And they're like, no, please, Jesus, please, Jesus, can we send them away? And, and, and I can imagine them now having the five loaves and, and the two fish, and they're starting to hand it out. Can you imagine, just even if we took all of us in this room, not just 12 people, but all of us in this room, and we said, hey guys, let's quickly go outside and feed 15,000 people. Let's just quickly do that. Except, you know, we don't know if there's gonna be enough, so you can't have any. How long do you think that would take? 
That's a big job to do, to feed so many people. And I can imagine those disciples walking around, feeding people, just being like, oh man, I just want to, can I grab some? Can I, would Jesus see if I just grab some for myself real quick? Because I'm so hungry. And that's why I love verse 20 in this passage. Because verse 20 says, and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. How many disciples were there again? 12. You see, some of us fear to be generous. We fear to give because we don't know if we'll ever have again what we've given away. But what we see here is in all of your giving, God will always provide. God will always take care of us. That's the God that we serve. Proverbs eleven twenty five says, a generous person will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Let's not be afraid of living big, generous lives. We can live them knowing that Jesus is present and out of the overflow of his presence, he will always provide. So they've each got a basket of food. It's like a party pack, party's over. Here's your party pack. You can now get into the boat. Jesus ushers them to the boat and says they need to push off and cross across the sea and he'll catch up with them later. He's going into the mountains to pray. And uh, I was chatting to my wife as I was reading the scripture going, you know, Jesus really didn't prioritize sleep very much. You know, I was like, maybe that's why he was sleeping in the boat because he goes up into the mountains and he prays until three or four in the morning. It says the fourth watch of the night, which is somewhere between three and four. Uh, he's been praying after ministering the entire day. And so the disciples are supposed to cross the sea but they aren't able to cross because there's a storm that arises and the wind is beating against their boat and there are massive swells, massive waves that begin to rise up and it's putting this boat in danger. And so they're caught up not being able to cross the sea. Now, again, we can say false evidence appearing real, but if you've ever been deep sea fishing, right? I've only been once and it was terrifying. We went about 20 kilometers offshore. I don't know why we had to go that far. I feel like the fish is close by, you know, the land. We couldn't see land anymore. And it was a beautiful, clear day on the Western Cape Coast. But then, you know, the boat rises up so high that you can see the water down there. And then the next thing, you know, the water rises up so you can see it up there. And this is on a clear day. I cannot even imagine what these disciples were experiencing, you know, being... Uh, out on the this, on this sea with an actual storm arising. And remember this, just for context, they have no electricity, no battery-powered lights. They're in the storm in the middle of the sea, and it's dark. And the uh, boat is being smashed by these waves. And so, again, not false evidence appearing real, legitimate circumstance and reason for fear. I can only imagine. Just being on the water at night is scary enough. How many of you are like so happy in your garden in the sunset? You're like, you know, my garden is a scary place at night. You know what I mean? Like some, some of us don't even go out into our gardens at night because everything is just a little bit scarier at night. And this reminded me of uh, a time when I went uh, fishing with my dad. And my dad had a boat that has a cabin in it. And um, you know, we said we're going to go out into the river and we're going to fish and we're going to stay there the whole night and we're going to fish. And, um, and, you know, I just, I actually wanted to show you, and I'm, I'm only going to do this because of my mom who's sitting up front here and my wife who's sitting up front here. They are convinced I never catch anything, right? 
They tell me every year, Adrian, you spend all this money on fishing gear and you never catch anything. So I have an actual photo from about 9 p.m. that evening when I was with my dad on that boat. Let's just show this quickly. There's the evidence, all right? <laughs> I caught that fish, okay? Um, just to show some more. Uh, here's another one I caught in that same holiday, uh, a nice little couple of yo that I caught from a rocks. There's a little Garrick I got caught from the boat. Uh, let's go, there's another one. Uh, there's another one that's before I had a beard. Uh, let's go, another one. I just want to show, those are all fish I caught on holiday. <laughs> Mom, Lee, can you, okay. So I caught all these fish. Let's not forget, last year I went to Zimbabwe and uh, from, uh, actually with uh, um, uh, Cheryl, um, you... Thank you for loaning me your fishing gear. It's Dave, hey? Darren, Darren sorry, Darren. <laughs> I knew that, but in the moment I forgot. The moment was too big. Okay, so Darren and Cheryl sitting up here, they're farmers in Zimbabwe. Darren gave me his fishing rod, and I could see the doubt in his eyes as he handed it over. <laughs> as he handed it to me, it was all broken up. It was, you know, in the rod little case, and, you know, nothing was put together, and I could see him go, you're never going to catch a tiger with this. But the Lord was with me. The Lord was with me. And from the Nyamepi camp at Manapools, I caught that tiger as another photo. Just, I just have to celebrate this one. Uh, there's another one. I caught that tiger fish. And uh, then, of course, there was that time I caught a marlin off the coast of somewhere. Um, <laughs> haters are going to say it's fake. Um, anyways, back to my story. So I was catching fish. My dad and I are on this boat, and, um, and we're, we're, we're on the boat, and it's about 4 a.m. in the morning, um, and so we decide, okay, we're going we're gonna to sleep, and then we'll wake up when the sun rises, and then we'll take the boat out, see maybe if we can catch something on the way out. And so at about 4 a.m., we get into the boat, and all of a sudden, we realize that there is a light approaching us, but we're on the river at night, and we don't know if this boat that's approaching can see us. And so my dad kind of panicked, looks for the torch, grabs the torch, sticks it out the hull, and flashes this torch furiously at the oncoming boat. And we hear what sounds like in the quiet night air, sounds like giggling. But we're not sure, but it looks like the light has stopped. And so we're like, okay, good, they've stopped, and, um, and so we're safe. And so we go back to sleep. We woke up in the morning when the sun came up, and we looked out, and we realized why there was giggling. It was two old men in a canoe, okay? And so sometimes it is false evidence appearing real, like in that situation specifically. But my point is, I said all of that to say that uh, being out on the water is, is scary. That was a long time for me to make that point. But it is, it is scary. And the disciples are out there in the midst of the sea, and they're afraid. They're afraid for real reasons, not like our reason, but for real reasons. Matthew 14, 24 shows us how Jesus responds. The boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, everybody always focuses on the fact that Jesus could walk on the water. Everybody always focuses on that when we read the scripture. But you know what I see here? A God who will do anything to be with you in the midst of the storm. A God who will literally walk on water so that you do not have to face your fear alone. Jesus does not stand on the bank and say, okay guys, when you figure it out, let me know and I'll come do some cool things with you again. No, he walks on water to be with them. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, that's weird to see. We saw a little light approaching. This is a little bit more scary. They were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. I'm telling you now, I don't care who you are, how faithful you are. You could be a pastor all your life. If you're on a boat somewhere and someone comes walking towards you on water, you're scared. Until you have absolute confirmation, it's Jesus. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart. I feel like this is what Jesus is saying to us as a church today. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Why are we not afraid? We're not afraid because God is with us, because Jesus is with us. He knows his disciples are in in trouble, and so he walks out to stand with them in the midst of all of that. Again, David says in Psalm 23 verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. In the presence of Jesus, it's the presence of Jesus, not denial of our circumstances that overcomes fear. It produces courage in us. Yet, I will be confident. It produces courage. What, do we, what are those next steps that we get to take because of the courage that Jesus produces? Matthew 14, 28, verse 33. I'm going to end on this, this this morning. Peter said to them, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. You see, you talk about living a big life. When you know it's Jesus, when you've seen the invisible God in your heart, you start to live a miraculous life. You start to step out. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. This is so easy. This is the easiest biblical interpretation you'll ever do. Look at Jesus. You walk on water. Look at the waves, your circumstances. You begin to sink. That fear causes you to have that sinking feeling. So he cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out. You see, even, see, and this is why this is so important. Too many of us have faith in our faith. You're thinking, I want to step out, but I don't know if my faith is strong enough. And in other words, you don't have faith in Jesus. You have faith in faith. You have faith in your faith, even worse. You're like, if I had someone else's faith, I could do it, but no, I have my own, so I can't. A miraculous life doesn't come from having faith in your faith. It comes from fixing your eyes on Jesus, who is both the author and the perfecter of your faith. That's what we do. Jesus grabs a hold of him, saying, oh, you of little faith, Why did you doubt? Why are you afraid today? Trust in me. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. The evidence is there. But Peter got to take a big step that day, a step of faith. He got to walk on water. Your faith doesn't have to be big enough. It just has to be in the God who is big enough. Amen? 
We trust in Him. We trust in His heart. Don't let fear grip you. Don't let fear, don't let the size of the waves cause you to take your eyes off of Jesus. Doesn't matter how big it is. Our God is greater. And they say, surely this is the Son of God. This is a recognition in a moment that we're not just talking, when we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about some impotent religious leader. We're not just talking about some moral teacher. We're not just talking about a guy who had a few bits of good advice for people on how to live. We're talking about the Son of God. He is present. You see, if if it's all about morals and it's all about laws and it's all about principles, then who's going to help you when you're afraid? You can't defeat fear by principles. You can only defeat fear by the presence of God. He's with you. Surely this is the Son of God. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by Him so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We need not be afraid. Jesus is with us. God is with you. And so we can live big lives and take big steps. Amen? Amen. Won't you join me just by standing this morning? We're going we're gonna to pray together.